the beat that you hear right now reminds me of the beat of my heart. Boom, 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 boom. So when we're talking adrenaline rush, good or bad, maybe something that was very stressful or something that excited you, that could lead to a broken heart. We're going to talk about broken heart syndrome. More than 300 papers published in the scope and space of heart health and wellness and much more. Oh, yeah. And we're always talking about ABM, the acronym, always be moving. That's coming up next with a cardiologist you don't want to miss on the Bob Jeswald Show. Personal power, people positive, the community of connection. This is the Bob Jeswald Show. Oh, and this week is great. We continue the conversation so many times, and we've done this before. I think it was episode three. (laughs) Dr. Hunter Champion is in the house. And, of course, Dr. Champion, you know, we weren't going to hit it off right here today. Again, welcome, uh, Hunter, for some some great things. Broken heart syndrome. Yes. Which, to me, is, you think it's a fallacy, but it's truly not, because you explored that. Mm -hmm. And writing, oh, geez, 300 papers, I I mean, at least over, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible. You dive deeper in the research, and boy, does it pay off. It does. I'll tell you, you know, the broken heart syndrome was really something that just came out of observation. Uh, I was an intern at Johns Hopkins uh, with 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 my later partner, Lon Wittstein, uh, in this project. And he was the attending in the CCU. I was the intern. And, you know, we had a series of patients that just came in over the course of a week or two. And, and all of them had a similar presentation. They looked like they had a heart attack. They had chest pains. Um, they all had clean coronaries on their catheterization. They had very weak hearts. Um, when we then started d- diving into a little bit of what's been going on, they all had a traumatic, emotionally traumatic experience. Well, and, and that's something where you realize, if anybody's old enough to know Debbie Reynolds, phenomenal. And I was in Las Vegas and, and met her a couple times. She's a wonderful lady, but she died of, uh, obviously, heart attack, or she had some illness related to that. Her, but whether she was fighting a battle, it was her daughter, Carrie Fisher, actress, First, and you remember, and even the latest uh, Star Wars, and she even was, they even had her in the latest Star Wars after she passed, had died the very, what was it the next day or very yep. soon after her mom passed? Broken heart? Yes. Uh, we see this a lot. Actually, if you go to Mount Vernon, uh, one of Washington's brothers on, on one of the obelisks at the, in the in the in the uh, cemetery, it says that his wife passed away two days after he died of a broken heart, and you know the concept of uh, mind body connection really goes way back. I mean, you even go back to the to the Bible. You know, Job's mm-hmm. heart felt heavy, and yeah. so uh, so really we know, and we we, we all point. we yeah. all know that we all know that there is this connection. You know, if we get a lot of stress, our heart starts racing. We may start feeling some chest discomfort. Some people with anxiety will get shortness of breath, that type of thing. Um, certainly, uh, certainly, you know, we want to make sure it's not the heart, but diagnosis of exclusion, it may be anxiety or, or, or something else. So contrary to that, that being said, somebody being very excited, could that cause or precipitate a heart event? Absolutely. So, event? so from our New England Journal paper in 2005, where we, where we actually coined the phrase broken heart syndrome, uh, officially at that time, uh, we had one of our patients actually was at her own surprise birthday party. And oh. boy, was she surprised. Oh, 65 years old. She had seen some friends and family she hadn't seen for 20 years. She's flitting around the room. She's all excited, uh, you know, just reunited with all these people and then all of a sudden bam she says take me to the hospital she comes in on a balloon pump cardiac calf uh, cardiogenic shock clean coronaries and actually our part one of our partners there uh jeff raid who was one of the first people to help buy into this this concept because this was pretty you know this is pretty controversial um uh, he leaned down uh, when he saw the clean coronaries he said did anything interesting happen today she's like my birthday (laughs) 
And so, uh, so yeah, so she was actually one. She was actually one. She that was, was on, aware enough. She to, was to interject. That. Oh, absolutely. Smart. Yeah. She's got a balloon pump. She's got multiple pressers right. to try to keep her blood pressure up. And and she was actually featured on our 2020 piece, uh, uh, Mrs. Weber. And so I still remember to this day. It's uh, it's, it's it's fascinating. But but we've seen um, other other um, uh, uh, happy events. Uh, uh, reunited with a loved one, um, a, a woman who had given up her child for for adoption was reunited, and bam, you know, ended up going to the hospital. Um, so we see this marriage proposals in some cases uh, and, and that kind of thing we, uh, we we see so it can happen happen it can happen with happy things vast majority though are are more more um, uh, traumatic uh, death of a loved one is by far and away the most common thing that we see um, you know in this day and time uh, you know we tend to give give news kind of more like social media little quips mm-hmm. boom boom you know 120 characters your mom's dead right. and you know a telephone that kind of thing um, in the Arab culture you know as we've talked about before right. you know some cases the physicians teams may they may they may tell, let the family down easy oh she's very very sick you can't see her um oh, it's, it's getting worse that kind of thing to kind of lay a little crepe as we say and 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 give them a chance to kind of process that information as opposed to we're kind of i think in the western world we're kind of more you know matter of fact and you know hey she's gone or he's gone and so so that sudden emotional stress is really seem to be what triggers it. So be erring on the side of caution. If God forbid you were in a situation like that, you would, you would allow, it would be a, a softer approach in, in our culture just to pull you back over here mm-hmm. a little bit. Don't just hit somebody hard with something right away. I, I think, I think yeah. correct. I think any, any kind of bad news, bad news is, uh, is you know, we always, goodness, I, th- yeah. I think sometimes you always, we kind of, we think about being tough and, you know, we always tell you rip the bandaid off fast, you yeah, know, right. that kind of thing. Um, but, but really that might not necessarily be the best way to handle things, especially when you're dealing with people, you know, 90% of these patients end up being postmenopausal women. And, wow. and it's a okay. very, it's a very interesting cohort. We've done some behavioral analysis and some psychiatric analysis, and they tend to be the matriarch of a family. They're postmenopausal. Um, they tend to be the, 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 the person that, that the whole family tends to bring all their, you know, troubles to. And, um, and so, so they tend to be the ones, they tend to be a little bit more type A uh, personality. They tend to be a little bit more high strung, that type of thing. They seem to be more the and it can happen with anybody. We see it in eighteen-year-old girls as well, and and, and men, um, much more, le- much less common in men, though. I'll pump women up because uh, we know women are strong in general. They Absolutely. weigh on that, and but they do put on. There's a lot of pressure on their shoulders when they're doing that. I had a step grandmother. Uh, she was from Poland. She was mm-hmm. Polish, and uh, you know I grew up Italian descent neighborhood, and uh, and she was always going 100 miles an hour taking care of her husband. She passed before him. She would sweat profusely all the time. And I, I, I'm assuming she had a high blood pressure. I don't know, but or something like that. I mean, she she had heart issues, if I recall. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure on that. So you want to kind of mitigate that. It's always, if you see something like that, maybe intervene, go see your, go see your doc. Mm-hmm. Before we get into some questions here, because this is some great stuff. People are so, so you know, excited that you're here. You, you get a lot of compliments locally. Everyone loves you. Thank you. Southeastern Cardiology is a practice you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see, you do clinics. And a clinic, when we say the term clinic here, that means people, you're seeing people, correct? correct. Outpatients okay. uh, come in from in, in our catchment areas over to Montgomery, down to the Florida Panhandle, over to Savannah. Um, essentially, I, I, you know, since I was in academics for so long, I essentially say you come to come to see us, you get academic level care, but with free parking. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't, and you can avoid Atlanta and Birmingham traffic. So love it. And, and that's exactly why people love you. I think that's what it is, because you're candor. You're you're uh, certainly caring. And there's that that's that bedside manner that people really want. Let's face it. Um, 
you know, our doctors are part of family, the way I like to see it. Some people are like, hey, I want somebody who's black and white, but I like someone to talk to me like you do. And you do interject because you have that academia background. You do a lot of papers and you got the PhD and you're, you're rocking and rolling plus MD. Right. So, and I, and I yeah. think it's a very important point. You know, I tell patients all yeah. the time, I said, listen, I said, I'm never going to sugarcoat anything with you. You don't travel yeah. all this way for me to, to, to sugarcoat anything. I'm going to treat you like family. But I also remind them, sometimes family, even family needs a cussing out every now and then. If you need one, I'll give it to you. Yeah. It's always done out of love. Um, but, uh, but, but, but you know, it's uh, at the end of the day, I, I, we we I think the way we handle patients is we see them as we're a team, and so I think that's the important important difference in terms of how we handle things with people. So it's a good transition then because we had someone who has that question, and the question is this: first of all, your team. Let's talk mm-hmm. about it. Your MD, mm-hmm. you got somebody who's a NP uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or or and a PA, mm-hmm. physician's assistant, nurse practitioner. Correct. Well, how does this all fall in line when you see a mm-hmm. cardiologist that practices in these capacities? Mm-hmm. How, how how does their background differ from an MD or is it, could they do the same or what, what's the deal Absolutely. There? So, you know, this comes up a lot because, you know, uh, oftentimes we, in the, in the, in the kind of the new era of medicine, um, we do have a team. And so I have a, I have a great team of nurse practitioner, Kyle, uh, uh, PA, Jamie, uh, both are outstanding. I, we do consider ourselves a team. We also have a, another nurse practitioner named Rachel who handles our heart failure clinic specifically. And so we're a team. Um, I think a lot of times people kind of think that everybody's kind of doing everything on their own. You know, we, we actually have, we can, we have a conference about each patient before we see them. We discuss what our plan is going to be. You know, if this, then this. Um, nurse practitioners and PAs operate a really very similar capacity. Um, you know, uh, I'm always there to see the patients though. You know, I think this, and everybody handles that their teams differently. I think I kind of get the impression some some physicians kind of uh, have the nurse practitioners and PAs go see all the patients and they're sitting back in their office playing games or or, or, or you know surfing the net or you know listening to podcasts. But um, but uh, but I'm <laughs> kind of okay. in the, but we're all in the trenches yeah. together. Yeah. And uh, and I do and I start up front when I meet a new patient. I say you know Kyle and Jamie we are a team. If you talk to them, that is the same as talking to me. And uh, and and certainly uh, you know we have that mutual respect. And Kyle's been with us for seven years. We're coming, going on the eight year together, uh, working together. I mean, we finish, you know, we know each other so well, we finish each other's, um, Sandwiches. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to see, and I thought sentences. <laughs> I was going to try but, to finish that, but right. I couldn't. <laughs> but, uh, but but no, and, and 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 I think that's that's an important thing, and really I think it's important too for patients when they come in to kind of find out how does the office work, and uh, you know some patients really do prefer to see me, um, uh, but uh, but but you know I'd say actually what's interesting is the vast majority of our patients once they get to know Kyle and Jamie they actually like them or they really like me. <laughs> Um, well, I'm, you know what I like about this, and this is something that anyone listening should maybe consider, find out if there is a team. To yeah. me, you're watching a football game, mm-hmm. you know, how many people behind the scenes, even mm-hmm. during the Super Bowl mm-hmm. with uh, this, the coach, right. this going on, right. but you guys don't do that. You don't block your face with a piece of paper like, on the big plays. I think a lot of people would prefer that I block my face. Yeah, I, don't, um, <laughs> I wasn't implying that. I, I, I have a face much better suited for radio. <laughs> Well, let me tell you something. Your 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 voice and, and the way you're you're kind of setting the, the tempo here is important for everybody to, to understand that it's it's good to have a team. Yeah. I would want somebody operating in that because there might be one thing that they may remember from that patient right. that you didn't pick Absolutely. up on. Say, hey, do you remember this Dr. Champion? They, I, she was also saying this. Well, that's weird. She didn't. She forgot to tell me. Mm-hmm. Or there might be something you can fill the gaps in. Right. So that makes sense. You're getting a full, complete exactly. picture. Well, and for that matter, I think it's very important for a, for a patient to figure out kind of how the actual office works. There are some offices where you don't actually have assignment with one physician. You, you mm-hmm. actually, you, and you don't know which one you're going to see that day. It, you know, it may rotate depending on who's 
doing what. And so that's something, you know, you know, I think it's important that, you know, and I tell patients all the time, I said, listen, I said, you know, you know, this is like a first date, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't like my approach or how we do things and then, you know, I'll probably go sulk for a little while, but I'll eventually get over it. And it's important that, that you, that you, that you feel comfortable with whomever you you're, you're working. Yeah. And I, I agree. There's, there's so much, there's so much competition. That's why I still think the way our healthcare system, in my opinion, is important because then you do have that freedom. It's like choosing a cable company. You only have one to choose from. You're in trouble. Absolutely. But if you got one health type healthcare system, I tell this to people all the time. It's it's not fun. Talk to my friends in Canada who they needed a cardiologist mm-hmm. and they're waiting in line a long time. Right. And of course now we're in that post era of COVID and there's surgeries that haven't been done. I mean, critical surgeries, sure. cancer patients that need something. Uh, I've talked to a, a nurse recently and she mm-hmm. said, Bob, it's not so much that the beds are crowded from COVID. She said, it's because we're trying to play catch up. Mm-hmm. We're exhausted. Yes. And there are people that have stage three ovarian cancer should right. have been in here like six months ago and they're just coming right. in. So there's some scary things there. So I, I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to ask a question here for one of our guests or somebody who's listening here tonight. But the COVID, mm-hmm. getting back to that, we're trying to figure out, and I'm sure you are, are there any papers being done? Are they exploring what could happen after those who had COVID? Mm-hmm. What's the ramifications? What what happens to the heart? Is there anything you're concerned about? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're seeing this, and you know, obviously this is, this is, this is on-the-job learning. Um, in fact, we've, we now have post-COVID uh, long-haul clinics that are, that are coming up. There's a few in Atlanta. Piedmont, Emory have have them, um, really primarily for research to try to figure out. I've got uh, one of my friends from Athens, Georgia, avid runner. You know, I think he's probably in his mid late forties. Um, he's had five bouts of pericarditis in the post COVID time. Um, otherwise healthy, uh, myocarditis. Obviously, we see what we really see a lot of though, and I think what's what we're seeing more than anything is a lot of arrhythmia. So it seems to be more of a cardio neural uh, or neurocardiology type of phenomenon. A lot of palpitations, um, a lot of, uh, of, uh, of palpitations that happen when you stand up, maybe dizziness, those types of things. And, and, you know, we, we still really just don't know anything about this. I have some patients who, who have a problem with it for a month and it goes away. I've got a few patients that now they're on their second year of dealing with this. Pericarditis temporary, which is an inflammatory response in the heart, which are typical in kind of virus, or if you're doing like some kind of a, you know, vaccine or something, mm-hmm. when we do get vaccines mm-hmm. or shots, they sometimes cause an inflammatory response. Is that, is, and I've heard this, is that true? or is Abs- that, Absolutely. Okay. And so, so you can get an inflammatory response and the myocarditis is the inflammation of the muscle itself of okay. the walls of the heart. The pericarditis, the pericardium is the sac that the heart, in which the heart sits. And uh, normally there's a certain amount of fluid that lubricates the heart beating in that sac. Um, when that gets inflamed, you can sometimes get additional fluid and the inflammation, but, but you're exactly right. And, you know, when we, when we do vaccinate, we're trying to build an immune response. We're trying to have some inflammation there to get to kind of build that immune response. Um, but especially younger people tend to have more problems. You don't really hear oftentimes about older people getting myocarditis as much as you, as you do young people. Because younger are more active? Well, I think their immune system's just stronger. Okay. I mean, and, and so it's more active and, and exactly. So that, you know, they, uh, um, we, Coxsackie virus, I mean, you know, kind of Classically, in the heart failure clinic, if we see uh, pericarditis or myocarditis, we're thinking, you know, kind of a young person. Males, young males tend to have myocarditis more often than young females. Um, Pericarditis can be any age, though. 
Long-term effects. Could it? Could it? Could we be setting ourselves up for a cardiac event, something bad as later in life, or is this just something that'll pass, strengthen, so or in the away? majority of people, it ends up being kind of a one-time thing. Um, you get over the inflammation. We use anti-inflammatories oftentimes for a period of time, um, but uh, you know there are people who, who who have to go to transplant, and and so you can have myocarditis that that, that does go to transplant and and that type of thing. So you can have long-term uh, ramifications. <laughs> Generally, it tends to be self-limiting though, um, and you tend to see the heart function come back. Uh, you know, over a period of time. All right. Well, I got somebody here, uh, Lori. Uh, she totally agrees with a lot of this. She says, I am uh, very interested in, as we were talking about the broken heart issue, because she's curious to know more about it. We did touch on that a little bit, but she did, she did want to know whether or not, is this something that happens to, could it happen to everybody or it, to some degree? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be the question. Like when you do lose someone, you notice that people's health sometimes declines a little bit. They may come back. Some people don't. Mm-hmm. Is there is there some kind of, what do I say, um, some kind of event? How about I say that in the heart mm-hmm. with anybody who goes through a shock like that? Even so, if they seem to be healthy and they never die or get a heart attack. Right. But Well, you got to remember the, the broken heart syndrome people that we have seen are the far extreme, right? Okay. They were bad enough. They had symptoms of heart attack. They went in. They got a heart catheterization. You can have ST elevations, which is the, like the, the immediate, that's where you, that's where you kind of roll in like an ER and you go straight to the cath lab type of thing. Um, the, um, so, but I do think that there's probably a range and, and, you know, we had one patient who, uh, who have relative had passed and they went and just stayed in their room for two or three days. They were probably just getting over that. The, 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 the classic features of the broken heart syndrome though, or stress cardiomyopathy is, is really, um, a sudden event that then precipitates a a symptom associated with uh, chest pain or shortness of breath, similar to a heart attack, um, but has no significant coronary disease and then has a weakness of the heart. And so we see different types of that. But I mean, we see people whose ejection fractions, which normally should be 50, 60%, go down to 10%. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, the good news, though, there is is that they they tend to get better over a very short period of time. So we see sometimes over three or four days, their heart function can revert to complete normal. What's the period of time in this? And this is good clarification because it's you're already talking to somebody who's predisposed, perhaps that mm-hmm. would have a, a, a bigger impact the, for Miss Lori here mm-hmm. if, of a cardiac event. But think about this: if if that's the case, what are we talking about? The period? How do you get them in to study them real quick? Is it? Do you know? I mean, you kind of hear through the grapevine. Hey, Joe, uh, we know that his wife, uh, you know, just passed. Mm-hmm. Let's bring him in, uh, Joe, send him in front of a thing and then start monitoring Or is this, is this really, I'm being facetious no. a bit, but, but how do you do I'll, that? I'll, I'll tell you how, how it happens. I mean, yeah. how, how we developed this huge database was essentially people have people come in with heart attack symptoms. They can have ST elevations. They go straight to the cath lab. They can leak heart enzyme like a regular heart attack. Okay. They go into the cath lab. And then when we, when we hit them, you know, with the, with the dye to look to see if there's yeah. any blockage, what we see is we see a weakness of the heart immediately but then we see clean coronaries. Oh, and so, okay. and so, okay. and, and I think that's an important point because when we were at Hopkins, yeah. when we were at Hopkins, Lon and I were kind of after the, the second or third year, I mean, we have, we, we had not even published this yet in the New England Journal and, uh, and, and all the interns and residents are so comfortable with it. Like, oh yeah, this is just broken heart syndrome. No need to cath that person. I said, whoa, 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 guys, you know, this is a heart attack until you prove that it's, that it's, that it's uh, stress cardiomyopathy. Taking it from a scientific point of view. Exactly. I mean, you're not just, just arbitrarily, you got the, you got a thesis here, but you're like, okay, but let's prove this thing. So we got to look Co- at it. Correct. And make sure all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed correct. before we just make that assumption. Correct. And then, like I said, what it, what it usually boils down to is when you see that, that classic pattern, the classic um, uh, uh, heart shape and the, the function, lack of function, uh, the clean coronaries, then that's when the cath lab guy leans down and says, hey, anything funny happened today or interesting happened today? Yeah. 
See, there you go. I mean, that, that, is, that is remarkable. Out of your papers that you had, though, with that study, to me, is, is profound. What, what's your next one that you, you're proud of or thought, you know what, this paper here, it was just, just uh, what I always thought or suspected or vice versa. If you did something and say, oh, my gosh, I was wrong. We, we were able to find out this is what happened. Well, you know, the, the one thing in science and publications is, is it's kind of like a gambler or a stock market person. You know, you never really hear about the losses. You know, people yeah. say, oh, he published 300 papers. Every, every study worked for him. You know, for those 300 papers, I have 500 studies that ended up not working out at all. Yeah, you got to so, think of that. So, exactly. so we're talking about how many total, it, 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 double, it, triple. What it, you just, it, you know. Exactly. You know, but I'll tell you, you know, in, in the in the 2000s, we had a really good run. I mean, we we had the broken heart syndrome paper, and New England Journal wasn't stupid. They published it four days before Valentine's oh, Day, and good uh, marketing ex- yeah, exactly. Smart, yeah. And uh, and that's really where I mean, it got picked up by thousands of you know Associated Press, you know NPR, the the whole nine. Um, but then you know we also had some other really good good studies as well. You know we were we were really the first to show that uh, that PDE five inhibitors like Viagra and Cialis can can help improve lung function, and now that's FDA approved for pulmonary hypertension. Um, we were first to show that that it was able to help uh, help uh, uh, repair uh, heart failure, those types of things. So, you know, like I said, we've had we've had a, we've had a good run. I, I'd say so. And and the more the merrier. Any yes. more coming our way, or do we need to watch for? Or, well, or interesting, you kinda... interesting enough, we actually just got a really large grant uh, through the NIH, which is uh, which is really interesting. We're using a step test, which is a gas exchange test to be able that we use for elite athletes and for, for for average people to kind of differentiate shortness of breath. So we're able to tell with this very simple five minute test what part of shortness of breath is from the heart, what part is from the lungs, what part is from how the heart and lungs are working together, what part of it is just conditioning, you know, if, are you just woefully out of shape, but we get objective data, and what we're able to do is use a non-invasive test in order to try to predict um, what part of this may be, you know, a, a fluid overload, what part may be something called pulmonary hypertension or high blood pressure in the lungs. Well, I'm interested in that so. because I, you know, having a runner's asthma mm-hmm. sort of thing, mm-hmm. And I can't tell, I think there was one point where I can't tell, do I need a stress test? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if this is more lung infl- inflammation or right. is this heart or both or one or the other. Right. So this test can actually do this with this NIH. It, absolutely. Report. And so, and so the, what, what this was able to do, we use it clinically. It's FDA approved. So we nice. do, we do this okay. every day in the office. We'd run about 15 through a day. Um, but it does, it, it really gives you some good objective evidence and it really helps us be able to tell patients, you know, should you limit yourself? Should you not? Um, is your workout, is your workout schedule working well for you? Um, we can test people before cardiac rehab and, and after cardiac rehab. Is there any benefit to do this? With no issues, but to come in and say, look, I want to make sure I don't have something going on. Well, typically with cardiac testing and with insurance, you know, obviously, you know, you can't get through anything without insurance. Um, typically, right. they, 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 they only like to test people that are having symptoms. But, you know, that said, if you've got any type of limitation, if you feel fatigued, if you feel certainly if you feel chest pain, you know, any type of shortness of breath, um, this helps you kind of because because, you know, a lot of times our patients will say, you know, our champion, I'm excited to go ex- exercise and I'm willing to walk down the road. But how do I know I'm going to make it back? Yeah, you know that's a good point. It's not a bad point, and so so this really allows them to get. It gives them a lot of confidence to know. Say, hey, you're not going to hurt yourself, or you know, you're just woefully out of shape. You know, if you um, if you get hot and sweaty, you're going to stop and rest, take a break, get your wind back, and then get back after it. And your acronym that you come up with, ABM, which I love, mm-hmm. always be moving. I always yes. say, just don't be sedentary. But would that be? We're not going to classify that as you're going to walk down the road and not come back. You're mm-hmm. saying when you say ABM, you're saying what? 
you know, just just move. You know, yeah. it's it's amazing. We have people. You know, it's interesting. You know, because oftentimes I'll, I'll I'll tell patients, I say, you know, we really need to get you on a decent exercise program. And they're like, the first thing that says, oh my back, oh my knee, you know, that kind of thing. I said, well, you know, there's a lot of things we can do around that for people who have knee problems. You know, do something that's that's uh, less you know forceful on the on the legs, like running. I mean, think about the elliptical. Think about the recumbent mic. Think about rowing. Um, you know, uh, the warm water aerobics at the YMCA is absolutely yeah, fantastic. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of pressure off the joints. Um, you know, a lot of these patients are kind of like otters. You know, if you see an otter on the land, you, they, they, you're like, goodness gracious, that's, they look terrible. But they get in the water and they're actually halfway graceful. And so, uh, so, so. And, and, should we and, say that to somebody if I see someone? I generally don't do that. <laughs> Maybe I should avoid that. Exactly. But uh, but the warm water aerobics is yeah. amazing. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's like a club and they play yeah. music and it actually looks a lot of fun. It does. And they play some good music. I heard some rock music one Absolutely. day when I was out there. So I said they're really jamming a tune. So this would be classic rock. So it'd be our age group and, and above. And so yeah, these but I mean, I still, late sixties, you know, early seventies. Yeah, I've got nothing, nothing wrong with that. But I mean, certainly, yeah. Yeah, I think you could put some some TLC, maybe play some No Scrubs or Look at you, things like that. I do actually uh, karaoke. I do a medley of that. It really brings the house down. You know, brings tears to the eyes. Well, let's hear one. <laughs> well, not right now. Could you cue it up, Dylan? <laughs> cue, cue up the music. I could do some Earth, Wind, and Fire with you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, fair enough. <laughs> In the Stone is one of my favorite songs too. You yes. know, man, it's very, very filled. You could feel it in your heart like that. But you think of Psalms too, and about you. Mm-hmm. You use biblical references with Job and mm-hmm. a heavy heart. You know, you know that uh, of course uh, the psalmists and King David probably sing mm-hmm. most of those. You know, singing a song makes yes. you feel good. Is that something that helps the heart? Absolutely. Well, I'm a big believer in 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 you know in this day and time, everything is just so. Mm-hmm so rapid right you know remember when the news when the news was walter cronkite or or, or dan rather single face in the in the in the, in the tv screen with a with a oh, still right. picture in the back sure now you get information overload i mean you've got runners everywhere you yep. know someone may text me if i don't call back in five minutes they're calling um you don't really get downtime anymore so i'm a huge believer in finding that downtime and for some people it's meditation i'm a big believer in meditation we could have a whole show on that great yeah. um for some people exercise is meditation um for others uh, prayer is, is, is great meditation. I, I agree. And, uh, and focus on that, focus on your breathing. Um, there's great app, there are great apps that you can use, but we've had very good success in terms of being able to, you know, potentially bring down blood pressure medications, anxiety medicines, um, bring those down just by adding meditation and exercise. Yoga is also great. You said meditation, a whole show on meditation. How would it go? Something like this? It would be two full hours of just you and me breathing into the mic. Inhale. Yes. <sighs> Exhale. Maybe add a little ohm in there. <laughs> Got to be careful how I do that. It's yeah. no, no, that's another show for another time. <laughs> Absolutely. As you would say. That's another show, Bobby J, for yes, another time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. No, that, I like that. No, but you, you know, and I, I make fun of that, but that's true. People really, it's funny how that makes a difference. And we are at the mercy of technology, and I'm mm-hmm. constantly getting pinged, dinged. Bad weather walking in. Everybody wants a custom forecast because they're not patient enough to wait on TV or they don't look deep enough on their app or look at my reports that are in the app. They want to hear it specifically from me when they want it on demand. I I, I sort of, I, I probably, I, I'm, you know, I'm the reason why I probably get a lot of that. I, I set the bar real high in that area for my own self, so I can't even back off of it because, then, you know, these people are relying on you. And then so you do... You do it in a way where, you, where I cut and paste now. Like yeah. I'll get, I'll get a, I know this is going to be the common question to ask. So I cut and paste it and I keep pasting my text, text, mm-hmm. text, text. And I'm not saying I don't want people to, to do this, but it is a world mm-hmm. of demand. And I yeah. can imagine even a medical field too, 
it's a right now. I want it now. I need, I need gratification now. I need to know my answer now. And I, you know, and as soon as I feel something, I want it now. Yes. And absolutely. And then, so that's part of the, you know, part of, I probably yeah. say, I probably say no fewer than 15 times in a day, expectation management. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you learn not to expect too darn much, you're not going to be disappointed. But, but also yeah. too, I mean, you know, we see patients all the time. We need to get set, set up for a stress test. Well, stress tests may take a week or two to get scheduled. It may take even longer depending on how busy we are. Um, people come in and complain about parking. I say, well, you know, if you go to a restaurant, you're not going to eat at a restaurant that doesn't have anybody in the parking lot. And I said, you know, you want to come to the pop- popular cardiologist. <laughs> well, you know, and I heard Bishop Barron in a recent uh, podcast, this is so funny, who said this today, and this is biblical reference, and mm-hmm. I, I can't, I won't quote it completely. But the bottom line is, <clears throat> if you think about it, if you think about this, if you want, you give a gift. I give a gift to you. You're my friend. Mm-hmm. Of course, by me doing that, and some philosophers and other you know folks that would look into this deeply would think, well, Bob, he likes you. Of course, he's going to say thank you, and that's what you want to hear because deep down, you're giving that gift to get something in response, whether it's as simple as that or something as, well, if I gave it to him down the road, you know, like, you know Dr. Champion, when my turns, he's going he's gonna to cash me in with a little something, a little gift or, or something. And But if you give it to an enemy... And you're not expecting, going back to your saying the expectation thing, <clears throat> you know that enemy is an enemy for one reason. They don't like you, mm-hmm. so they will not thank you, and they will probably not give you anything back. That's why your enemies, as you know, Christ would say, make sure, you know, love your enemies, the ones who don't like you, give it, you know, show them love, the ones that, you know, they're, you know whatever, hate you or whatever, yeah. or just against you, show them love. Keep doing that because you're not expecting that expectation back, which makes you in a position of where, okay, the expectations in the bar. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, how philosophical you can get on that right. and going in the past versus the, the new, you know, why not? Right. I mean, it's, it, it's like, these are the things that the, the, some of the stress loads get people who chronically complain, mm-hmm. always got an ailment, got something. I come from a family that's, so I'm very, I don't know, mom's going to listen to us. She is listening to us, but she's good. But you get coined the phrase, Hey, look, you're, 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 Bob, you're a hypochondriac. My wife calls me that. I'm not a hypochondriac. <laughs> am I? It, because I say that, no, I identify a problem. Mm-hmm. If I fell, my, my body's like the engine of my car. If I hear something ticking yeah. a weird way or something else, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping out. I'm proactive. It's right. like I like to say, mm-hmm. I'm not calling off from work. I'm not saying I can't get out of bed because of my, you know, this hurts and that aches and this and that and the other. A lot of it's psychological. How much are your patients coming? How do you think it's psychological? And is, is am I or am I being a tough guy? Or or, or should we or and, and define hypochondria? Yeah. As, well, as you know, I, th- I think I think part of this comes. It boils down to you know. I tell people all the time. You know your body better than anyone. And and so so if there is something going on, whether it's real or perceived, you know, let's work it up. Let's at least make sure. And and you know, I think in some cases people do kind of get labeled as hypochondriac, and then and then nothing gets done. They don't ever get validation. Well, you know, I never nobody did. An echo. I mean, nobody did a stress test. Nobody did this. I, you know, how do I know it's not my heart? And so, and so that's why, you know, I'm a, I'm a as part of that team, you know, we believe in, 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 you know, I take you seriously. You come in. Um, if, uh, if, uh, you know, we, we find something, let's deal with it. If we don't find anything, then, then at least we, we feel good about that and say, Hey, let's look at something else. As we said before, you know, the diagnosis, you know, the stress and anxiety, it can cause chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitations, a lot of things, but that's the diagnosis of exclusion. We do not have an actual, test for stress. Um, okay. Actually, I was at a talk last night that was really interesting, given by one of the heads of preventative med- medicine at, at Piedmont at, in Atlanta, at the, at the mothership up there. Um, and and the, some new data showed that that stress is a major factor in the heart. And, and that women who have significant amount of stress, that's the equivalent of smoking 3.3 packs of cigarettes a day. 
That's insane. So stress is 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 yeah. just as bad, and you know we we're we're just now learning about this all this other stuff. You know, you know, in terms of uh, you know in the workplace, sitting is the new smoking, and so you know there's a lot of things that you know your increased risk of heart problems by just sitting all you know sedentary you know job that type of thing. Somebody who's exploding all the time or, or very quick tempered or, or or somebody who's like a um, ticking time bomb kind mm-hmm. of thing because they're they're ready every time they they shoot off at yeah they're loose cannon or mm-hmm. whatever. Is that better to be that way or we're hard on your sleeve. I have to use that reference, right? Opposed to holding it in. So, so you know, it's a great point, and I think I think a couple things there. You know, I do think that there are some people. Me, me personally, I think it's probably better for your overall body rather than kind of internalizing it. You know, we always talk about like, why don't you just put all that emotion into a little ball and push it way down deep? Well, you may push it way down deep, but eventually it's going to blow up. You know, I have a very long fuse, yeah. and so, but 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 if I you know get pushed too hard, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, right. But uh, but uh, but but you know, so I think in some you said it with a smile on your face. <laughs> Like how you smile like that, Dylan. You did that, and your eyes right. just kind of get there. Exactly, get there. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but I, but I think dude, I think there are some people though that are able to just yeah. say, hey, you know, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to just shoot off all that steam. Sure. And you know what? I'm fine now. Mm-hmm. You just give me a chance to blow up, blow off the steam, and then and then I'm calm. You know, I think that's probably worse for you to, to to kind of just hold on to this and harbor all this emotion and everything, and and you know just you know say say well, it's going to go away as you know eventually. But I want to be clear: if you're in a car and there's a, a moment out there somebody cuts you off, you may want to resist because nowadays you may get shot at. Oh, so you don't yeah, wanna, absolutely. Yeah, so absolutely. in that case, you can hold it in, and then then or. You know, scream to yourself in a car or something yeah. like that. Why you no good son of a gun? You know, I don't want to do that. But you don't. You don't want to get into a situation where y- you keep it in control. Right. Well, and I control. think you know, and, well yeah. nowadays too with yeah. social media. I mean, you know, if you have a beef with something, you can just pop mm-hmm. off. And so I, I, I like that old that old philosophy of hey, write everything out. Write all the nasty stuff you wanted to say to that person and put it in a drawer, or I guess yeah. nowadays we put it in a file folder on your on your desktop. Yeah. And uh, and then come back to it twenty four hours later and see if you really want to send that. Yeah. You know what? Good point. That and I I agree with that. I had to take that lesson a few times. I would shoot off emails and say, why did I just? Say that? <laughs> Could I get that email back? Exactly. Sometimes you can't. You just can't. Right. Some Sometimes you can if you're lucky. Well, I got something. Uh, Miss Jeannie writes, okay? She says, I'd like to know once a person has open heart surgery plus stents, I think she meant, yes, stents, mm-hmm. and a pacemaker and defibrillator, defibrillator, do they have restrictions for the rest of their life or does this mean that their life goes back to normal? So there's a lot packed in yeah, that one question. Yeah. So, so, so the answer is there is a huge continuum on this. You know, we have people that um, that have uh, that that need open heart surgery or stents. You know, once we get through that, we put them into cardiac rehab. Um, you can go back to a normal life in, in in that regard. You know, I think the key thing though is is that and I, this is another thing I always say: the only place in the world where success comes before work is in the dictionary. If you want to get success, you've got to put the work in, and so I think that's a big thing as well. Now, you know, oftentimes you're stuck with medicines, you know, moving forward, you know, if you have a defibrillator, you probably have a weak heart, you know, that kind of thing. So there's probably some restrictions down the road. Um, But we have people with low ejection fractions, weakness of the heart that they're running marathons and, and that type of thing. I think, you know, I try to tell people don't let some of these numbers define who you are. I think sometimes people can kind of push themselves to be a cardiac cripple and it's more in the head than it actually is in the body. And that's why I really am a big, huge yeah, believer. So I'm getting back to that mental thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've got a wonderful cardiac rehab here in Columbus uh, that is outstanding. We send most all of our patients that have a stent or bypass surgery there, you know, because if you think about coronary disease, you know, it's not something generally that just pops up. It's something that's been brewing for years and years. And so oftentimes patients kind of 
start ratcheting back. You know, I'm just getting older. I've gained some weight. You know, I'm getting more short of breath, but they kind of rationalize it. And so now you're actually getting blood to areas that weren't getting blood. And so now you have to build your strength back up. So don't discount those people who might, you may think, okay, this is a lot of this is psychological. Yeah. There's some validity to that. And we need it. We need to watch it too. She mentioned defibrillator. Mm-hmm. I think of the AED, your heart's going through defibrillation or right. something. You got to sometime right. put that AED in. Is, is she talking about that or pacemaker? Is that, is that something that is like a pacemaker or is it? So the, we, the E of AED is external. External. And so okay. you put it on and it will actually, you know, check your EKG and it will tell you to defibrillate if necessary. Okay. Um, the, uh, stand the, back, the, exactly. stand back, do compressions. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I tried out for that voiceover, but, uh, but Jeez, I didn't, I didn't could get you imagine it. having the voice of the AED yeah. machine. Yeah. Well, it's like having the voice in the airport, the lady, please check your bag. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But the, um, but, but the, the defibrillator that she's probably talking about is the internal, the implanted gotcha. defibrillator. Okay. Um, and that's really kind of like a watchdog. It's watching for a bad rhythm. The beauty of the new defibrillators though, is they don't have to just shock you. So if you're going into a bad rhythm, they'll try to pace you out of it. They go through four different you know, mode switches to try to get you out of it before actually having to discharge um, the, uh, the 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 big shock. I've experienced one of those in my life. I was actually at the Y mm-hmm. locally here, and I was with Fred. I mean, Fred was handled it really well, but we both worked right away. We saw a guy. I he obviously was having a heart attack, or he was he had a I don't know an aneurysm. Mm-hmm. Or, God only knew. But when we hooked that device up. It was amazing. It told us everything yep. we needed to know. Kept him alive until the to the folks got there, but unfortunately he passed uh, later that day. Right. But he had recently had, uh, I think, open heart surgery mm-hmm. or something. He was in the gym, but uh, but it was it was sobering to see right. that. But but it's amazing technology, as you said, yes. and and so that makes sense. Thanks for that clarification. Miss Dorothy asks this. Miss Dorothy says, "My mother had died. I, this is interesting. I did not know that. I just happened to know this this person. My mother died from heart issues uh, attributed to broken heart syndrome. Mm-hmm. Wow. Within a few months of her father's death. Now this is." months after we had never heard of the syndrome and i'd love to hear some advice for families children when dealing with a grieving parent because mm-hmm. that's a great question yes. dorothy because in that case this is not right away mm-hmm. so what is what would we do in a situation like that to is there any coaching is there anything maybe we can prep people that you know that yeah. might have an issue or may not that so, may want to know right so i think the key thing there is is really you know we have patients and, and it really is case by case because every personality is different i think it's incumbent upon really the family to, to figure out what is going to be the best way to handle this i think the key thing is showing love you know there really is no right or wrong way to grieve i mean certainly grieving can go bad and, and it can last a pro- prolonged period of time um but i think certainly everybody is different um, i'm a, a big believer in counseling you know some people do really well talking to somebody that doesn't have a a, a horse in the race and, and just kind of getting getting things out. Um, so for some people, medication can be very helpful. Um, I think the key thing, though, is just is, is just being there for someone. And, and so, you know, certainly we see this and, and broken heart syndrome can be deadly. I mean, if you make it to the hospital and, and everything, you've got a great chance of leaving. Um, yeah. but, but certainly we can see this. We see greater risk of arrhythmias. We see greater risk of blood clots and stroke after broken heart syndrome. Wow. Um, just because all that adrenaline makes you more prone to, bl- to clotting blood. And so I never knew that. Yep. So that kind of adre- different from the adrenaline rush of something that's just exhilarating because you're at a concert. Would it? Or could thing. it be the same thing? Same thing. That's it. That's because you, know, you did say that earlier. I remember yeah. you did say because you can be in a happy situation like the surprise exactly. birthday party. Right. So that's good. I want to make that distinction. So 
adrenaline, good, bad, or ugly, right. in between, could still have that same impact. So during my time in New Orleans, during during medical school, you know, we after our big tests uh, in in classes, we'd all go to to Bayou, uh, uh, we'd go to Bayou St. Louis, or go to Biloxi, and go to, go to the, the casinos. And I've seen it both ways. I've seen people collapse because uh, you know they had a had a great run on on the crap at the craps table. I've seen people collapse because you know they just had their last dollar that they that they lost in the slot machine. And so uh, so so it happens for for both. But but the adrenaline is the same. Um, and that's really why, you know, medicines like beta blockers can help protect heart attack because what it does is it tempers the effect of the adrenaline on the heart. That's why, you know, people who are, have anxiety, but also people who have a lot of stress, the beta blockers, metoprolol, things like that, they kind of uh, block the receptors that the adrenaline hits on the heart. So it prevents some of the palpitations and the racing heartbeats that come with that. Metropo, I don't want to get too deep into this, mm-hmm. but an alpha and a beta, are mm-hmm. they two different ones? Two Do different you, ones. Okay. Uh, alpha tends to be more vasoconstrictor. It has other effects, but the beta beta receptors tend to be in the lungs. So like when you take okay. an inhaler, that's usually hitting the beta receptors to open up the lungs. Good to know. Okay. But that's that. the reason why a lot of people get a racing heart after they do that inhaler is because they hit the beta one receptors in the heart. That's why it's just sometimes it gives you a feeling of caffeine or drinking like three cups of coffee. I would do that before Soldier Marathon Mm -hmm. because I was having the runner's asthma. And I remember I did two puffs back to back uh, with albuterol, Mm -hmm. I guess, in that sense. And uh, boy, I got like really, I I felt, I got like a head rush like there was no tomorrow. I had to to put my head between my legs for a second. Everyone's like, (laughs) you all right, man? I go, no, 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 I'm okay. I think it's from when I just inhaled here. So I didn't inhale, but I did not (laughs) inhale. But in that case, I did. But um, so no, that's, uh, we got another one. Mr. Bryce asked this question. What are some natural ways someone can reduce inflammation? Specifically, as you just kind of touched on a little bit, uh, related to the heart, like cardiac Sclerosis, I think is what mm-hmm. I'd say there. Yeah. yeah. So, so inflammation is a major player in this. You know, we've got measurements like uh, high rea- highly, highly sensitive C-reactive protein that we can measure. If your level under normal circumstances is elevated, you're going to be at a higher risk down the road of having a coronary um, issue. Um, a lot of the medicines are anti-inflammatory. We know that the statin medications that we take for cholesterol lowering have anti-inflammatory. Aspirin has anti-inflammatory activity. So aspirin works from a number of different ways. It has anti-inflammatory activity. It also inhibits it's the platelets from clumping up that can cause mini strokes and also heart attacks. Um, then there's some more natural ways that we can do that. Um, we have to be a little careful just because a lot of the, the nutraceuticals are not regulated and you just want to make sure that you talk to your healthcare providers about whatever you may be taking because in some cases they may have liver implications. They may interfere with some of the metabolism of your other prescription medications. Um, you know, a lot of people take vitamin C um, uh, for, for, for his anti-inflammatory activity. Um, but they have some other things like echinacea. Um, there's, there are various things. I mean, you know, a lot of things actually were born out of natural, you know, uh, uh, things, you know, uh, one of the things that we've been working on, we talked about before is lowering blood pressure with beets. So beetroot yeah. juice and beets, super beets, uh, you see this advertised. Um, we've had very good success with some of our patients in lowering their blood pressure just with that. Um, maybe not, maybe stave off additional medicine. Is there too much anti-inflammatory? Because see, I do fish oil. Yep. And I feel like this is where a lot of times people are like, how do I do it? Because I think a lot of these natural anti-inflammatory, even some beet uh, mm-hmm. powder, mm-hmm. Um, I do turmeric. Yep. Um, I do, uh, what else would be anti-inflammatory? Vitamin C, as you said. Mm-hmm. I do uh, quercetin yep. with my zinc. Right. Um, but am I, am I on the right path here? Is there so is there something that's too much, or could you get too much anti-inflammatories? But these are different natural. Yeah, I, 
I don't, anti-inflammatory. I, I doubt you can get too much. I think you know uh, we always joke because I take a fair number of, uh, of vitamin supplements myself, and yeah. I bring them in a Ziploc bag, and the, you know yeah, I, 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 yep. I refer to it as my vitamin, you know, <laughs> in the singular. Yeah. Uh, and and my dad and I always joke that we we may just be ending up with brightly colored and expensive urine, but uh, but we're not taking yeah. any chances. That means that means you're passing weight. It's waste. I mean, it's stuff well, that's it's not it's not retained. It's it's going through. And, the and, and you're paying it out. So and that's a yeah. very important point because yeah. there are certain vitamins and, uh, that are water soluble and generally your body will get rid of those, get rid of the excess. Um, certain vitamins that are fat soluble like vitamin D, you can actually overdose on vitamin okay. D. Okay, how much that's a great point because with mm-hmm. this whole post COVID, yes. Um how much is too much? So, so really need to have levels checked um, just because different body sizes, body types, that type of thing. You know, in general, I think a lot of people have been taking 5,000 units uh, kind of every other day. Some people take 50,000 units a week, things like that. It depends on if, you're, if your vitamin D is low to begin with. So we need to find that out. Yeah, well, we, so, know, we, know that yeah. Vi- we know that people who are vitamin D deficient actually have worse outcomes with COVID infection. So, so that's why by tr- you know, tr- gotcha. you know, I'm a big believer in, in, in making sure. And, uh, and, and you, know, you know, realistically speaking, we spend so much more of our time inside. So we don't get that vitamin D conversion with the sun like we used to. And so by being able to do that, um, is actually really important. Less sun, less angle of the sun in the winter months, of mm-hmm. course, a lot of times too. Um, I have drops. So if we're doing like what it recommends, like 1000, like one drop would be 1000. Mm-hmm. I use a vitamin D if you do two, three, what would be the symptom if you had too much vitamin D? Uh, well, you get hypervitaminosis, as they call it, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and usually they tend to be vague symptoms, like GI symptoms and things like that. That's why really what I, what, what I think the smart move is, if you're going to supplement and that type of thing, do it for a few months, have your primary care physician check your vitamin D level, okay. and then you'll kind of know where you are. That's good to know. Yeah. And speaking about GI, that, that could be, you know, Somebody could be what the GI would maybe too much gas or diarrhea or something cramping, like that. cramping or cramp, something exactly. Like that. Okay, well that's good to know. That's good to know. So we'll you know think about that the next time. It's good to do them, but the water soluble are the ones that are probably less likely to cause any long term effects. Correct, like Correct. vitamin B, I think is a Cor- water absolutely. Yeah. And 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 again, I think I think the key thing there is uh, is you know talk it over with your with your with your uh, care providers. Make sure there's not any contraindications for you with any of you, anything else that you're taking. Um, and uh, and also too, I'm you know I think. Go within some of the the, uh, the the guidelines in terms of in terms of average. I think sometimes people kind of get caught up in this idea. I'm going to take thirty thousand times the recommended daily. Dose. Hello, no, and, we don't and, want and to do that, that and, yeah. and that type of thing. You know, yeah. you know, I do subscribe at least a little bit to the idea that anything worth doing is worth overdoing, um, but not to a to a huge degree. Gotcha. That's really good to hear. So get together with your doctor, in other words, and, and before you try to do some of these, or your nurse practitioner, practitioner. MPA. Yeah, there you go. Nice little shout out to Kyle and who was the other one? Jamie. Jamie too. Okay, wonderful. So we are looking uh, down the road. We, we talked about COVID. You're looking at some papers, looking at this the step that you guys are doing to challenge whether or not we could tell lung or heart kind of mm-hmm. issue that's causing maybe shortness of breath or whatever it may be. Where where uh, where are we? You know, you hear of heart health. We hear about the American Heart Association. Mm-hmm. We do a lot every year nationally. Uh, I've been involved in it. It's still involved in it. You are. It's it's, it's always a lot of fun. Through education is mm-hmm. key. Knowing the reps, you know, you know the, the song "Staying Alive." Don't worry about just do compressions to save a life, but don't have to necessarily do mouth to mouth. But just do you know one you know staying alive, staying alive. Oh. Uh, this is here we go. Come on, yes. sing it with me. Staying alive. <laughs> what, what is it? This is karaoke. Come on. Yes. You didn't know I was going to trick you into that. But but that would be, I'm making you blush a little bit. <laughs> Am I making Doctor Champion blush? Wow. It takes a lot. That takes a lot. I finally seen it. Now I never seen you blush, so that's that's really good. <laughs> Is it because you're blushing or how bad it was, or is it just because you're like feeling sorry for I me? I just really feel bad for and you. That's on what that, I that rendition. Okay. I don't want to be associated with that. 
<laughs> I hear you. And That's when good. I blush, it's a little bit more impressive because <laughs> I've gone from a forehead to an eight head here in the last decade. I love it. I love it. So where where are we with that? Is there ever such thing of having too much education or are we overboard with this? Or is it like, come on, are we making any strides here? Yeah, you know, I tell you, I think there's a couple of things there. And I, I, I think that, that, uh, that, that at the end of the day, education is critical. But I also think that, that, that one of the things that I also try to preach a lot of is, is a little bit like the serenity prayer. You know, let's work on the things that we have the power to control. Try not to worry about the things that you can't control and then have the grace to know the difference. And so I think the key thing there is, is, is really, you know, know your body. You know, living in a state of denial is, is not going to help anybody. You know, if you live in, in, in the outer sides of, of Cairo in a state of denial, you're, right. you're going to be in trouble. Um, listen to your body. If, if you think that someone, if your loved one is, is in denial, get them to their doctor. Get them to their, their care provider and, and, and work it up. Nine times out of ten, you know, I think if, if we catch things early enough, it's always better. That's why prevention is so much better than, than, than trying to come in after the fact. You know, one of the statistics that has not changed in cardiology in 150 years is the fact that 30% of people who have a heart attack never make it to the hospital. Right. And, and, and actually, a lot of those people, if you go back and look, they were having symptoms. They were having something going on. It's just they were ignoring them. So I think, I think the key thing there is work on the things that you have to power to control, the simple things, blood pressure, stress exercise, um, cholesterol, mm-hmm. uh, those types of things. You know, cause I think a lot of times people kind of get caught up in the, the latest and greatest thing. You know, I'm going to get genetic testing for this. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're sitting there rocking a blood pressure of 200 over 111 oh, scary, and, yeah. and yet, and yet they're worried about the most esoteric test you can possibly run. Um, but then also too, looking at, 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 at basic testing. I mean, I think we've actually got very good testing and certainly we, we do this in a stepwise manner. Um, you start off with, with more low level things and then imaging. Um, we can do cardiac CT, do a calcium score if, if, if someone's low risk, but we're trying to determine, hey, how, how aggressive should we be with their cholesterol? Mm-hmm. Um, we have stress testing, those types of things. You know, um, here's something here. I, I wanted to ask you this one here too, because I'm looking at, I'm trying to get some questions and people's uh, ideas of certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's races, there's people like to, that, that kind of help out. Here's one, it was called the, you ever hear the Broken Heart Challenge? It was in Montgomery to Baptist. It was called uh, uh, it's called the Broken Heart Challenge. It's been two years, I think, probably because of COVID and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. To do something like these kind of races and stuff mm-hmm. like that, is it something you you usually try to get behind? Absolutely. For, is this something because you're you're tying in to me if you're tying in some kind of physical fitness yes. at the same time some awareness? Absolutely. Well, and I think it's also too. I think it's actually really good to get to get out there and see. I think sometimes people kind of get stuck in their own in their own skin and they're kind of saying, "Oh, well, you know, gosh, I don't I don't want to do that." I mean, go back to the water aerobics. You know. Yeah. So many people that I talked to about water aerobics, it's just like first day of first grade. I'm not going to know anybody. I'm going to know too many people. I don't want anybody to see me in a swimsuit. Yeah. And and nine times out of ten, though, they go. They love it so much. It's hard to get them out. Just like first grade, they don't want to go home. No, right. Yeah. And so, but I but I do. I think the awareness is key. I think starting in the home is key. Um, you know, I think you know. I'm fascinated about how much education our kids get. You know, both my kids, my younger two kids, are are, are in school, and they'll come back and ask me a, about a cardiac issue. I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. And they say we talked about this today in class. So I think that's a good way to start. You know, heart healthy does start young. Mm-hmm. And get get them active. Yeah, always be moving. A- ABM, always yeah, be moving. ABM. And also, hey, I, playground. I, anything. Well, yeah. so, well, and I hate the fact that a lot of places PE is going away. Yeah, that's um, that, that. To me, that. Why would you do that? Right. It makes no sense. Right. And then, and then also, too, reminding, you know, we have a lot of young people who do great team sports, football, basketball, that kind of thing, but then they go to college and 
all that goes away. And so I think in, in our family, it's very important that you have team sports, but that you also have an individual sport that you do so that you can do that for your lifetime, whether it's tennis or golf, pickleball, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I think getting behind those is actually really important. And, and also too, just, you know, at every level, I think it's important to just reinforce that, um, you know, the, the, the blood pressure, cholesterol, all those kind of things. Uh, Any kind of exercise is the best exercise to you from what your research or anything? Is there, is resistance better than let's just say doing a cardio workout or is there, is sometimes you, you both combined or do a little so every I, other day? I'm a big believer in combining things just because okay. just for two, for, for a couple of main reasons, one boredom, okay. you know, for me, cardio is just incredibly boring. Mm-hmm. And, and actually when I was in Pittsburgh, um, I, uh, I started uh, on my treadmill and, uh, and I, I, I lost some weight and then it plateaued. And so I said, well, I'm not, I guess I'm not going long enough. So I did say it at the same speed, but I went longer. I turned, I even made a desk for my test, my, for my, for my treadmill so I could answer emails. Cause I was on this thing for so long. Oh. So I was going for like an hour, hour and a half, you know, a day on this treadmill at a, at a regular pace. And I realized I wasn't getting any more benefit. So really I get more benefit by getting on a treadmill three minutes at a good pace and then go full blast for a full minute and then come back and do like a hit training. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and I, the kind of the analogy I use, I think, I think body, our bodies are like a lazy teenager. They're only going to do what you make them do. And so, so they will only adapt if you really put the pressure on. And so, um, so, so by, 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 and a lot of people kind of preach muscle confusion. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, if you, if you come, if, you know, I tell people, cause you, you end up, you, you get better strength absolutely. and you development. You, you'll yeah. see, you'll see that. You'll see those gains, but then also too, you know, you can also do this in the weight room. And so, so, you know, I, I'm a big believer too in speed weights. So you go do bench press. And then as soon as you finish with that set, go do legs. And, um, and then cause while you're, while your upper body's resting, you're working your lower body. And if you do that the right way, you can get your heart rate up to the 120s, 130s. You can actually turn weightlifting and and the circuit training into a cardio workout. Age and heart rate. I understand, you know, obviously if your heart's not in good shape, and I've learned this a little bit from cardiologists with you, I think it was Dr. Dara was in there one time and he was looking at my thing. My heart rate goes up high, but as soon as I stop exercising, I notice it drops fast. It's something that I learned and tell Mm -hmm. me, correct me if I'm wrong, that that helps it it, it, you got a healthy heart. You, you don't yeah. want that to be accelerated to even when you stop. If it's like a, you know thirty minutes later and you still yep. got that one seventy exactly beat per minute, you know it's exactly. like holy crap, what's the, going on? The other thing that's also important to remember too is is when you're when you are deconditioned, you know, and this happens, and you know, really you can get deconditioned in a very short period of time. Um, they did a study in the seventies. They put high school football players in bed for one week. Not sick, not sick at all. Now they were just okay. in bed. They were incredibly deconditioned after that week. And these are healthy people. Imagine what it's like. So I tell people, you know, if you're in the hospital bed for, for, for every day you're in the hospital bed, the average person, it's going to take three to four weeks to get back to your previous strength. So if you're in the hospital for a week, it's going to take, you know, 21 weeks to, to, to get back to where you, um, to how get back quick to where you the be. body's memory, it, it'll come back. But like you said, how fast you can lose it. Well, muscles like a good reputation it takes a long time to build it, but you can just lose it instantly. <laughs> lose it like that. Right? Yeah. That's something. Yeah. That's, it's crazy. So we got to keep that moving a little bit. Yes. I, notice that even when I sleep, you know, we do have these watches now Mm -hmm. and they can sometimes tell you what your SPO to your oxygen levels are. And at the same time, I I know notice during COVID, I was Mm -hmm. always like this one, a good day for me is 97%. It stays at 97. Mm -hmm. It seems very regular. Some days will go 95. Mm -hmm. Had COVID, it went down to 91. I got a little nervous. And I I know that's not like deadly, go to the hospital, ventilate them, but, but it's, but I don't mean to make light of that, but it's just, it, I can tell there was some change. So there's some benefit to that. Mm -hmm. Also my heart rate, the more cardio I do, I do notice it 
yep. dropping precipitously. I sure. mean, at night it could get into the 40s mm-hmm. when I'm sleeping. I can track what I did and I'm going to have an awake moment, right. boom, bounces up to 60, go to the bathroom, whatever, you right. know. And so so is this is this accurate or is this something we should as they're common actually, people they're they're actually, they're actually pretty accurate. I mean, you got to remember a couple of things. So I actually had three conversations today in clinic about this. If you have any extra beats, like benign premature ventricular contractions or PVCs, as we say it, or if you have a sinus arrhythmia, that is not a pathological rhythm. Neither one of those are pathologic. However, they can trick these machines. So you got to be a little careful, okay. especially with like the finger monitors. I used to have a lot of extra beats after a car wreck. And, um, and so, but, and so um, the monitor would show on me, heart rate would go 70, 90, 140, 20. And so it's looking for, for a regular rhythm, but because you're having these extra beats or you have a sinus arrhythmia, it, it, it tricks the machine. So the machine just guesses. So always have to take, so if you ever get, if in, you know, I, I usually tell mm-hmm. my patients, like the ones today, I say, you know, if, if someone's getting a squirrely number for your heart rate, have them check it manually. You know, put it on your yeah, wrist yeah. or your neck. Count to six. How many beats you have in six seconds? Multiply by ten, and and that gives you your 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 heart rate. But the machine, but but the devices are actually pretty good. I'm amazed at how many people I have that come to me where their Apple Watch has detected atrial fibrillation. And, you know that actually, and you know atrial fibrillation is a major yeah. cause of stroke. So it's a, there are a lot of people who go to the hospital and don't find out about their AFib until they have the stroke. And you hear about the stroke and heart. This whole part of the heart health awareness. Absolutely, we don't, we forget about strokes, not right. just heart attack, right? But stroke. You but can have you, brain brain attack, right? Yeah, but exactly. Brain attack is what they call it, another name for it. Right. And, and you know that's not a. I mean, that can be deadly, and it yes. can cause paralysis, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes. Uh, but, but I think a, more, a lot more people are, are, are scared of stroke than they are, are, yeah. are of heart attack. So, I mean, because it's, it just hits you. Oh, we, well, and it can debilitate you. Yeah. And, and, you know, and especially, too, the, the types of strokes that you get with, with atrial fibrillation are kind of the worst kind. They don't kill you, but they can debilitate you. But the watch isn't going to detect that. Oh, the, the watches it? can. No, they so can. That's what you're yeah, they, they, yeah, they actually, well, they'll get an alarm. They'll, they'll, I'll get a, I, sometimes I, I give most of my patients my cell phone number, and they'll text me. I tell them, don't call me. I don't answer my phone. But if yeah. you text me, you know, I'll get a text, you know, here's my rhythm, and say, hey, should I, this is saying AFib, so, you know, we'll get them in the next day or, or the following day. How do you day. get, what watches do this? Or uh, is there that, something the, in your app that can show you? There's this? a couple things. The, mo, the more advanced uh, uh, Apple watches have that feature, um, but uh, but more importantly, there, there's another device called a Cardia device that actually, if you don't want to spend the money on an Apple watch, the Cardia device is actually great. It's FDA uh, uh, cleared. It's a thin, it's probably about, about an inch wide and maybe three inches long, and it syncs with your phone. And you put two, you have to see a commercial and you sure. put two fingers on it, and it'll actually tell you if you're in normal rhythm or if there's a concern for AFib. So a lot of my patients that have had maybe a run of AFib after an operation, they don't necessarily want to be on a blood thinner forever. So I just say, hey, the Cardi device, uh, I think before Christmas it was on sale for $64. With with inflation, it's probably you know $300 now, but I don't know. It's, it's probably sales. No, but no, I know what you're saying, but, but yeah, but 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 these types of devices now are actually incredibly helpful to be able to to be able to pick those know. up at a drugstore. Uh, I think Amazon is where you can order that. You Better may be able to get that. it. They may be able to get okay. that at, at, a, at a drugstore. And they um, usually go for how much? Would you say probably? Uh, well, the the, the Cardi yeah, is sixty four dollars. Okay, I mean, that's it's not a, bad. It's a good not, investment. Exactly. For, you, know, you go to the Valentine's gift. I go to my general doctor once a year mm-hmm. to get an EKG yeah. or kind of. Does that kind of determine that during that well, time? That helps. But remember, a twelve lead EKG is two seconds of your day. Yeah. And so, and a lot of these people, it goes in and out. Now, one of the things to your point, though, about the devices, a lot of people are actually picking up their sleep apnea on the device. So for all of our heart rates drop with with sleep. But if you see low oxygen saturation, especially, you know, below 88, 85, 
during the night or um, or you have heart rates that are dropping significantly lower than, than during the daytime, um, that may be a sign of, of sleep apnea. They have a line on mine, and this is, I'm just giving them a shout out here, but it's the Fitbit I uh-huh. just happen to have. And it shows a line and it says, if you're below the line, mm-hmm. low, it's good, but mm-hmm. above it's not so mm-hmm. good. So you're looking for it. There was a couple times it spiked up for yep. maybe I rolled on my side odd or right. weird or I started snoring, I would yep. assume in that case or, or something that... Right became an, an so, event. So, so sleep is like the great frontier. We do not know enough about sleep. Yeah. Um, but, but sleep apnea is incredibly common. And sleep apnea, is a, there's, there's two different types. There's central sleep apnea, and there's also obstructive sleep apnea. Central sleep apnea is where the brain doesn't send enough signals for you to breathe at night. Oh, that's scary. That's usually treated with oxygen. So, right. uh, but, but obstructive sleep apnea is far more common. That's actually an obstruction where the soft tissue in the back of the throat will fall. Okay. And so it creates a physical barrier for airflow. It tends to be worse if you're on your back. That's why most people snore when they're on their back. Which makes sense. Uh, not all snoring is sleep apnea, but 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 uh, and you don't have to have snoring to have sleep apnea. Um, but symptoms. of I sn- didn't know that. Right. Mm-hmm. I always thought snoring was apnea. It's I very never common. Knew that. So so some of the the generalizations in the past is you have to be fat to have sleep apnea. Yeah. It's what and it, it, in general it is generally weight related. However, I've got just as many tiny. You know, women that have the worst sleep apnea you've ever seen is I've had 450-pound patients who've been tested 20 times, and they don't have any sleep apnea. And so it tends to be weight-related. Um, but symptoms of sleep apnea, certainly what I will tell you is when I hear a, a bed partner say, yes, they snore, 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 pause, and just before I go to shake them to wake them up or elbow them, they go, you know, and they have, you've, if, you, if you're doing that, you've got a 99% likelihood of having sleep apnea. Wow. Okay. Um, but then, um, so somebody hears that, they may want to check with her. Exactly. Doctor. Exactly. I mean, and, yeah. and the nice thing now is we do a, for the most for most people we do a home test. So we actually give you a device. You go home. You sleep with it in your own bed. You bring it back the next day, and we can tell you if you have sleep apnea. If you do, you can you can be treated. Um, the treatment is is actually so much better now than it used to be. Other symptoms of sleep apnea, though. Before I go to the treatments, sure. other symptoms: um, waking up with a headache, um, going to the bathroom more at nighttime can be a symptom. Um, definitely the pausing at night, um, fatigue during the day, shortness of breath during the day, feeling like you need to take a nap, falling asleep at the red light. Those are all kind of general symptoms. Um, sleep apnea is a major risk factor for AFib. So if you have atrial fibrillation, we always test you for sleep apnea. Um, but the treatment is so much better than it used to be. You may have friends that say, yeah, I tried that sleep apnea treatment. It felt like hanging my head out the car window going 60, you know, kind of like, you know, like that. The new machine. A lot of air being blown in. Exactly. Like a CPAP, they call it a machine or something. But now we have APAP, which is even better. So APAP is auto, it's, it's auto titrating. So it starts off with low pressure and then it gradually increases and only gives you the pressure that you need to keep your airway open. Some people who need higher pressures, though, um, they feel like it's difficult breathing against that pressure. So if they have a problem with that, then there's another modality that we can use called BiPAP. And so it gives you the pressure that you need to breathe in, but then it drops the pressure significantly um, when you breathe out. So it makes it easier to breathe out. So a lot of people can, and you can get auto BiPAP now. You can humidify the air. Um, It's silent. Um, You know, I generally tell people that their bed partners just need to call them Maverick or Iceman. Don't call them Goose, but call them Maverick or Iceman. Say, hey, you're going to go shoot down some MIGs uh, today? You know, come on, honey, you're my you're my little fighter pilot, and the masks are so much better. That's you know, so yeah, because you think it's kind of gross. All that bacteria gets in there, and stuff. You got to well, clean it. Or well, some, I think some people yeah. get very claustrophobic by having yeah. something over their or face. That too, yeah. But but now they have some that come down, and, and it just fits right up under the nose. So there's nothing in front of you. The nozzles on the top of the head, so you can spin around in bed. And and so the the treatment options are are huge. So what I generally tell people, if you if you couldn't tolerate CPAP in the past, give it another try. 
Now we actually have a surgical treatment for sleep apnea called Inspire. And one of our ENTs here in, in Columbus, Dr. Rhodes, is, is, is implanting these. And what it is, it's almost like a pacemaker device that 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 helps it helps open up that airway I'll be darned. Um, actually with with the device um, and then you have a you have a, a, a remote control that you turn it on before you go to bed it's fascinating that's, that's it's incredible a, and, it's, and a spe- it's especially for people who can't tolerate sleep apnea tre- other sleep apnea and this treatment. is an ear nose and throat specialist that would 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 do that correct would actually put that in place correct going back to the afib and, and mm-hmm. trying to figure it out because that that has me wondering a couple things you don't know an afib could you detect it yourself? Do you know there's something weird going on? As much, if you would, maybe more of a cardiac refill, the pressure, if yep. you're running and you're feeling lightheaded or, or, or whatever. So atrial fibrillation is fascinating. It is the most common irregular heart rhythm that we see. And so, I mean, we have people from age 17 all the way to 99 that have this and, and, and everyone in between. And, you know, if you start if you start talking about AFib in a group, you will find out that, that a huge percentage of people around you have either had it or currently have it. Um, some people have just post-operative AFib, so it's very common to happen with anesthesia. And that's usually a short-term type of thing. Um, you can have longer-term types of AFib. Some people feel it. Some people don't. Um, the patients that I feel best about are the ones that say, yep, 802. This morning, 8.02, I went in and into it. And so in those patients, we can try to get them converted quickly because when we know when it happened, um, but a lot of people don't feel it. Um, and so in those patients, we, we, we rely on some other, you know, monitoring modalities and that type of thing. But the treatment is so much better than it used to be. We have medications to try yeah. to suppress it. Uh, certainly, we, we usually put people on blood thinners depending on what their risk score is. Um, the blood thinners are so much better than just the old Coumadin that we used to have. So don't eating, you know, eat three times a week mm-hmm. uh, sardines, mm-hmm. you know, omega-3s and taking mm-hmm. omega-3 fish mm-hmm. tablet every day. Mm-hmm. Is that is that enough to thin the blood or? No. No. Okay. no. Uh, you know, I had a patient one time yeah. that, uh, that, that said, uh, you know, I heard alcohol thins the blood. I'm just going to go drink. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he later had a stroke. But, but you know, yeah. but, but that's, and I did tell him I told you so. But, um, yeah. but. That's uh, your told you so moment. That, that's yeah. why I, I told you so. You won't say that unless it's, 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 yeah, 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 exactly. You have to come back but, and um, but, but, but the new blood thinners are absolute, are so much better than just yeah. the old Coumadin days and things like that. But you don't have to be, be relegated to blood thinners now forever. We have uh, other things. There's a Watchman device that can be implanted by our electrophysiology partners who come down from Emory in particular, um, Dr. Delergio and Dr. Patel. It's a device that goes into that, that little pocket, is, which is the source of the vast majority of strokes with AFib. And those people, um, are, right now it's FDA approved for people who have had GI bleeding, who can't tolerate blood thinners. Um, but now they're actually doing the study to see if, if maybe you can just do it in everybody. And anybody that doesn't want to be on a blood thinner, because, you know, certainly, you know, you and I, we're at ages where blood thinner is probably not a big deal, but if we're highly active, if, you know, if, if, if I'm going to go you know, hunting, you know, that, that kind of thing, or, you know, have a risk of falling, mm-hmm. you know, blood thinners put you at a high risk. Sure. Um, so, um, so, you know, as you get older, it also becomes a higher risk. So as aspirin, well. 81 milligrams, you always hear that. No, generally. So if you've got a very, if you're a young person with very low risk factors, eight, 325 of aspirin, maybe all you need. Oh, okay, um, okay. But, uh, but for the vast majority of people who have any more than one risk factor, like blood pressure problems, that kind of thing. Um, you're really more talking about like Eliquis, Zarelto, um, Pradaxa, Coumadin, those types of things. Gotcha. Um, but now we have ablations. So now they can do an invasive test where they mm-hmm. go in and they actually freeze the nerves that cause AFib. And, you know, the success rate on that is much, much better than it used to be. And so we've got patients that can go have that done and, and they have no more problems. Wow. And, and then after all this, I wonder how many more problems people are going to be able to identify thanks to some of this awareness here today mm-hmm. that we did. Dr. Yeah, Hunter so. Champion, fantastico. I love it. And if you want to know more about cardiac health, we're going to be able to attach right here at the bottom of this podcast. Of course, you know we can give you a link uh, to find out more about some tips. We also want to, you know, if we even have you come back, 
Dylan, is there anything else, you know, we can find a, a way to get some information? I don't want to put you on a spot like you get 3,000 people calling you a day. Excuse me. Do not call him. Text him. <laughs> I only, <laughs> only responded. to text. text him. He only responds I to text. I, I let my voice and you're not a millennial either. And you're not a millennial. Nope. I can't believe that. But I have to have some control over the life. And, and just answering sure. phones all the time is, is tough. Going back to your point, you know, you've got to be able to shut it off. Right. Meditate and get in that space, which is really good. Dr. Champion, we can go on and on forever. And in fact, after this podcast, I'm going to probably, you know, I always ask you a couple of my own personal questions. Absolutely. I always do. I get a little extra advice here. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that. I can't believe that that time went so fast. It does. Well, we're over an hour, but yeah. with you, it could be five hours and, and people would still love to tune in. But we do have to wrap it up. I hate to I hate to say this. We can go meditate, take, take, a, take a few minutes out, get something to eat, and always, always think about moving. The smallest moving, as Dr. Champion says, keep active, do whatever you can. This is health and wellness. This is what we talk about all the time to make sure that you are in the proper state step the right beat in life that's what it is you can catch this episode at wrbl.com or any other post shows that we've had we're talking about at wrbl.com you can do that or wherever you get your podcasts apple spotify iheart those are some places too to explore the bob jeswell show and others here and also on social media we'll, we'll put this little clip here dr champion it'll be situated pinned at the top of my bob jeswell community page bob jeswell facebook and twitter and instagram Follow us. We'll hopefully be able to give you some good advice coming up in the future. And as you always said, too, not only always be moving, but let's end with a nice little statement for health, heart health on the spot. Could you give me something? Well, I think the key thing is listen to your body, talk to your health care providers, and, uh, and get good advice. There you go. Amen. See you next week. Thank you, Hunter. Appreciate it. Very good stuff. Thank you.